Hello, and thank you for joining us today. My name is Yvette Sanchez, and I'm an associate in Ropes and Gray's healthcare practice group based in the New York office. I'm here today with my colleagues, Christina Bergeron, a partner in Ropes and Gray's healthcare practice group in the Boston office, and John Saran, counsel in Ropes and Gray's healthcare practice group in the Chicago office. Christina and John, would you mind providing a brief overview of your practice for our listeners? Thanks, Yvette, of course. As Yvette said, I'm a partner in our healthcare group in Boston. I focus mainly on transactional and healthcare regulatory work. I have a lot of clients with MSO DSO PC models, and I'm very excited to discuss with you today how these laws potentially impact such models. Thanks, Christina and Yvette. My practice is very similar to Christina's, and like her, since I started as a lawyer about 10 years ago, I've been representing management service organizations of all shapes and sizes, supporting most licensed professions in the healthcare industry. Thank you, Christina and John, for the introduction. I'm excited to discuss this important topic with you today. As you are aware, many state governments have enacted laws granting state officials the power to review and potentially burden many types of healthcare transactions under the notion that those transactions may significantly and or adversely affect healthcare access, cost, and quality. I want to start with your recent experience of how various states are applying these laws to transactions involving management services organizations or dental support organizations, or as commonly referred to as MSOs and DSOs. Thanks, Yvette. To be clear, we are discussing enacted laws in eight states, California, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Nevada, New York, Oregon, and Washington. Of these states, only the following apply to dental as written. Massachusetts, Nevada, and Oregon, although we're watching commentary to see if any other states will apply to um, the dental industry. Importantly of note, although California's law is enacted, it applies to deals starting in April of 2024, and the New York law starts applying to deals um, as of this summer, summer of 2023. I'll kick it to John to give more details. Thanks, Christina. Uh, each state's law is very different, and the application to MSOs and DSOs varies by states. As Christina said, the following states seem to be limited to currently physician models as opposed to dental. New York, Connecticut, California, Pennsylvania, which is now pending, and Minnesota. Additionally, under some state laws, MSOs and DSOs may take the position they are not covered by the definition of provider or provider organization. As we will discuss, given that one of the focuses of these laws is market power and the potential impact to healthcare costs, one key consideration is the MSO's involvement in negotiating payer contracts. Thanks, John. Can you walk us through the recent developments in New York that expressly include MSOs and scope of their transaction notification law? Sure. But as we've discussed in the East Coast podcast, New York State recently passed legislation expressly requiring MSOs, but not DSOs, to provide pre-closing notice to the State Department of Health of certain transactions that meet revenue thresholds within New York. And that's specifically defined as an increase of in-state revenues of $25 million or more. The legislative intent of the initially proposed law note a lack of oversight of transactions involving entities backed by investors that support private professional practice entities. One thing to note, the statute expressly applies to MSOs supporting physician practices. Accordingly, the law does not capture DSOs that support dental practices or MSOs that support veterinary, physical therapy, behavioral analysis, or other professional practices. We'll continue to watch lawmaking in New York to see if the regulators expand on this point. Thanks, John. What kind of transactions involving MSO entities would specifically require notice under the new New York law? As enacted, 
Any mergers, acquisitions, affiliations, and or formations of management service organizations would require notice to the State Department of Health. We expect New York to read the statute broadly and take the position that the statute captures PE acquisitions and sales of physician MSOs, in addition to MSO mergers and MSO add-on acquisitions. However, there's an exception in the law for de minimis transactions that do not increase an entity's total gross and state revenues by $25 million or more. As we noted in the private equity podcast, the wording of this exception is ambiguous. It is possible that the exception may prove helpful for the acquisition or sale of an MSO where the revenue wouldn't change, or in the add-on context where MSOs acquire smaller MSOs with less than $25 million of revenue. Christina, New York's decision to expressly include MSOs in the statutory definition of entities subject to its transaction notification law is a significant development. How does the New York law compare to other enacted state laws? Thanks, Yvette. Massachusetts, Washington, and Oregon also call out management of healthcare entities in their laws, Oregon most directly. Oregon released subregulatory guidance stating that MSOs and DSOs are healthcare entities subject to review since they're closely related to entities that provide healthcare. Further, Oregon has reviewed a DSO deal in the past and has highlighted concerns in the industry about the impact of DSOs on the quality of care that patients receive and job satisfaction among providers who work at practices affiliated slash managed by DSOs. Conversely, Oregon also highlighted the significant level of support DSOs provide practices, which can result in providers having more time for patient care and patients having greater access to care. In sum, it's clear that in a post-transactional review, Oregon does plan to assess the validity of these perceived aspects of the DSO model. Interesting. Understood on Massachusetts and Washington. But to focus specifically on Oregon, what types of MSO or DSO deals are captured by this Oregon law? It's a great question. We expect Oregon to consider the acquisition or sale of DSOs and MSOs that operate in Oregon to trigger review if the revenue thresholds the state has set are met, which include at least one party having an average revenue of $25 million and more, and another party with revenue of at least $10 million in the preceding three fiscal years. The law would also apply to add-on acquisitions in Oregon unless the target practice had less than $10 million in revenue. We don't believe the law should apply to MSO DSOs operating in Oregon, sort of purchasing entities outside of Oregon, if it, if it doesn't in any way impact the cost of care in Oregon. To us, it seems contrary to legislative intent of safeguarding healthcare in Oregon and lowering cost to Oregon residents to have these certain out-of-state transactions apply. And such interpretation would also raise concerns of restrictions on interstate commerce. We've raised questions regarding standards for out-of-state entities and public comments and rulemaking, but additional clarity would be useful. I think the point and bottom line is that acquisitions in Oregon involving either an MSO or DSO need to be closely evaluated given how aggressive Oregon has been on enforcing this law. I'll also note that there is an option for exemption from the notice requirement in certain emergency situations that threaten immediate care service and the transaction is urgently needed to protect interests of consumers. We have not seen Oregon analyze this exception yet, but call it out just in case it could be useful for certain transactions. Thank you for that overview, Christina. Moving to the other states, you mentioned that Massachusetts and Washington have laws that review provider organization transactions. Can you walk us through how those laws are applied to MSO and DSO deals? 
That's right, Yvette. Massachusetts passed its law in 2013, and it provides that healthcare service providers and provider organizations, which include management companies that assist with payer negotiations, they don't have to be the party to the payer contract, they just have to assist with the negotiation, notify the state 60 days prior to making any material change to either operations or governance structure. Those provider and provider organizations with 25 million or more in net patient service revenue, which is essentially defined as revenue that comes in through third-party payers, in the preceding fiscal year must provide notice. The law defines provider as anyone qualified to provide healthcare services, which includes dental. So there's two tests here to needing to file. The first test is, do the parties meet the revenue threshold in Massachusetts, as I just described? If you meet that test, the second test is, has there been a material change where the transaction increases net patient service revenue over a certain amount or gives a provider a near majority market share? So similar to other states we've been looking at, there's a revenue threshold that typically applies. Some states don't have one, but a lot of states do. And as such, add-on acquisitions by an MSO or DSO need to be closely evaluated to see if they would trigger such thresholds. Similarly, in states like Massachusetts, where the law is really triggered where it's two providers or two provider organizations on, on the sides of the transaction, right? A private equity investment directly into a company shouldn't trigger the Massachusetts law. But that analysis needs to be carefully done state by state. Washington's law is newer. It passed in 2020. And it similarly gives the state AG's office review authority over material change transaction involving provider organizations, among others. Similar to Mass, the definition of provider organization does pick up management companies that assist with payer negotiations, except Washington added for seven or more providers. Notice is required for transactions between two in-state entities in Washington or between an in-state entity and an out-of-state entity if the out-of-state entity generates 10 million or more in healthcare service revenue from patients residing in Washington. In sum, the key factors of applicability in both Washington and Massachusetts is determined by whether one, the deal is between two providers or provider organizations, two, whether the provider organization represents providers and payer contracting, and three, revenue size thresholds. And as you can see from our discussion, this is a pretty nuanced analysis. In Massachusetts and Washington, as I said earlier, we think certain private equity investments um, would be exempt from the notice requirement, given that they likely wouldn't meet the definition of provider organization. But in certain states, they would be picked up, including potentially Oregon. And so really working with counsel to conduct that analysis if there is a transaction is critical. Thanks, Christina. You've outlined important distinctions for Washington and Massachusetts. John, what are you seeing with other states that have enacted or have pending laws? Are they more like New York and Oregon or Massachusetts and Washington? Good question, Yvette. So California has passed a similar law requiring approval of transactions starting in April 2024 involving healthcare entities. California's law applies to provider entities, which includes physician organizations, but it's unclear at this time how the statute picks up MSOs and the scope of entities covered by the law. There's also an exception for certain medical group practices comprised of less than 25 physicians, which may be helpful in carving out add-on acquisitions of smaller practices. There's also Illinois, who's considering legislation which would require pre-closing notice to the state AG's office. It contains a provider organization definition similar to Massachusetts and Washington, although the Illinois definition requires 20 healthcare providers. 
Of course, this raises similar questions about what it means for an entity to represent providers in the payer contracting process. But there are also questions regarding the definitions and scope of healthcare providers and physician organizations. The good news for some is that investments by private equity companies and MSOs in Illinois would not trigger the notification law. Pennsylvania introduced a bill that, that requires a for-profit health system operating one or more hospitals, hospice agencies, or nursing homes to notify the state AG's office prior to certain transactions, including a contracting affiliation with the provider organization. There's a similar definition of provider organization as the other state laws we've been talking about. And the hook, contracting affiliation, is defined as a relationship that permits these entities to negotiate jointly or on one another's behalf with payers. If enacted, this law would be relevant for only MSOs engaging in such affiliations with hospitals, hospice agencies, or nursing homes in Pennsylvania, meaning most private equity-backed MSO transactions would not trigger those laws. Finally, Minnesota recently enacted a law that requires healthcare entities to notify the state AG's office and the Commissioner of Health at least 60 days prior to completion of material transactions. Although Minnesota's law does not expressly include MSOs, it does capture entities that exercise control over physician, professional entities, and group practices, where control can be found through the ownership of voting securities or contractual relationships. Those contracts would need to provide the MSO the power to direct or cause the direction of management and policies of a physician practice. So a particular MSO services agreement would need to be analyzed accordingly for that control. The good news is that DSOs supporting dentists and MSOs supporting physical therapists, veterinarians, and other non-medical providers would fall outside of this law. Really interesting developments, John. Christina and John, from everything we've discussed, it seems MSOs and DSOs could certainly trigger state government enforcement for a range of transactions in these states. How would you advise these entities to proceed in the relevant states? I think clients should understand that, especially with respect to Oregon, Washington, and even Massachusetts, they seem to be paying very close attention to the market and enforcement of this law seems to be a priority, i.e. when in certain, you know, very public deals, um, you know, we've taken the position internally that the law doesn't apply um, in certain states that I've named, we've, we've had some reach out and have actually heard from them um, that they'd like to understand the reasoning. And it's key to understand um, you know, when you are doing a transaction in one of these states that does have one of these laws, that you understand the applicability of the law to ensure that you're either providing proper notice and or obtaining approval um, when required. And companies can absolutely expect enforcement um, and even, like I said, proactive monitoring and outreach for certain publicly announced deals that involve MSOs and DSOs. Um, and we are absolutely monitoring, as John will also discuss, to see if other states with pending laws uh, will follow a similar approach. John, do you have anything to add? Yes, and, and I and I agree with you, Christina. Um, you know, parties should continue to keep up with what's going on in the legislatures and and the regulatory updates and guidance from the various states, and and also just take note of you know transactions that are public, right, and that are approved. And I know Oregon has a lot of. Um, you know, a lot of stuff that's that's sort of out there in the public that just could be helpful as you think about transactions in the future. Um, as as we talked about earlier on this on this podcast, there's just a lot of open questions to be resolved uh, with respect to the application of these laws, both enacted and pending, uh, you know, to MSOs and DSOs. Uh, and in some cases, you know, state government should just take a position one way or the other. And if they do want to capture MSO or DSO transactions, you know, that clear guidance, you know, could be provided. Great points, Christina and John. 
Thank you both again for lending your time to this conversation. If those listening would like more information on this topic or our healthcare group, don't hesitate to contact us or visit our resource center where we house a list of every podcast in the series. Other Ropes and Gray podcasts are available to listen and subscribe to wherever you regularly find your podcasts, including on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Thanks again for listening.